Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It is born in the fury of the most violent storms on Earth. It has traveled thousands of miles, building in strength and size. And here, in a remote corner of the planet, some men will not run from its fury. They will ride it. You're not ready for it. I'm ready. So when the wave breaks here, don't be there, or you're gonna get drilled. He's a modern savage. If I say it's safe to surf this beach, Captain, it's safe to surf this beach! What's he searching for? The ride. The ultimate ride. What's up? The only thing surfers have in common with the rest of America is they're unemployed and love crystal meth. Welcome to the 11th edition of Surf Center. Today we have Russ Kino, uh, CEO of St. John's Emergency, back with us for an update on what's been happening with COVID-19. And he's got a lot of new information for us. We were a bit concerned, obviously, like everybody is with, with all of us gathering together in the streets and, and, and you know protesting what we all consider to be pretty gross injustice. Um, and yeah, this is, I mean, this is the biggest, they're calling it the biggest, biggest civil rights movement in the history of the world, right? Has so to be. around the world, across it, you're seeing what's going on, obviously everyone's seeing what's going on in America and there's real change happening. So, you know, you don't want to be, as we mentioned in our last podcast, you don't want to be sitting on the sidelines, you want to be involved. But yeah. with that, you know, we've still got a very real disease happening and we want to make sure that people are still out and protesting and ourselves included, like, and seeing this thing through and, and implementing real change and not yeah. giving not taking our foot off the pedal until that happens. So we wanted to check back in with Russ and just kind of find out what are some of the precautions we can take. And then also we're all surfing more and more again because a lot of people still don't have jobs, they're protesting, we're surfing. So we're, right. we're kind of getting outdoors more. Um, yesterday, I think maybe what led this is we went down to Encinitas and supported the changing tides and uh, the textured waves, pro paddled out with Sal, um, which you're seeing everywhere was incredible. And there was far more people than we, we had expected showed up, yeah. right? Which was just the most amazing thing from the town of Encinitas. And amongst there was a lot of people and, you know, a couple of us had masks on, some did a lot didn't. And yeah. kind of, we went in the water and we kind of had this, you know, amazing moment before. And then we went out in the water and, you know, Chad and I kind of left and we didn't actually want to bring up that we had gone down because, you know, I just hate people <laughs> claiming it. But, yeah. but we were down there and we kind of left being like a little anxious about like the Rona, right? Yeah, and that's right. It's still a very real disease. I still have a pregnant wife at home that I need to be overly cautious about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we spoke to Russ, and this is an interview. Um, you know, there's a few findings in here about the WSL, like what he thinks the opportunity of running a tour this year will look like, um, how you should go surfing with friends, and more. Right? It's just kind of an update. And then there's a radical new finding about what this disease actually is and how it's attacking young people. So, yeah, it, you know, in fact, it's not just an old person's disease. Yeah. it is a young person's disease too. And and almost the way it's affecting young people is almost more radical than the way it's affecting old people. It truly is because you're, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing young people show up, the relatively healthy young people showing up with strokes and other types of cardiovascular disease that, that, that it is really typically unseen. And, and in this, and, and in the previous episode, Russ actually spoke about how the hospitals were relatively empty when it came to COVID-19 patients, but they were seeing the spike in strokes and heart attacks. And he, at the time he had kind of, I think he had, said it was maybe a tech and I'm paraphrasing here, but maybe because of, you know, the economic stress and kind of what was going on. Right. So it was kind of driving people's blood pressure up and 
causing well, that. Also, he thought that it was also due to the fact that people weren't going to the emergency room with other because they were scared of the coronavirus. They didn't think they'd even be admitted into the emergency, so they'd get sick or something like that would happen where they could, if they had got those patients in earlier, they would have been able to do something. But here's here comes somebody that's in their mid thirties with a stroke that's going to be debilitating for the rest of their lives, and it's actually coronavirus. So, you know, not to try to strike fear and terror in everybody but just you know like wear that mask and it's one of the i think that's his really his easiest yeah. message well why don't we let uh we'll let him take it away <laughs> chad, <laughs> chad and i will stop trying to talk medical yeah, medical yeah. advice but well you know chad is a web md expert that's he was right. he was busy diagnosing his shoulder this morning yeah, yeah. i heard him answer the phone to the surgeon or something that he wants to go check in and try to tell them what it is i know exactly what it is because he I, thinks he knows what it is google but, uh, told me yeah exactly <laughs> I don't need Google. My wife knows everything. That's right. Uh, there you go. That's true, actually. True yeah. fact. All right, guys. Well, listen to Russ like you did last time. Hopefully, all of you guys listened last time. This is it's, it's got a lot of great information. Uh, we'll see you on the other side. Since the last time we've spoken, kind of what has changed? What are your findings? Uh, what, yeah, kind of give us the rundown. Yeah, well, um, well, I think where I left off, we had talked a lot about some of the technology we were using and the incredible results we were getting using uh, this ECMO procedure, which is like a miniature heart lung machine that uh, breathes and pumps your blood around and does all this amazing stuff uh, and can save you when a ventilator won't. Um, so we continue to do that. We continue to take people from all over California um, uh, uh, where they've failed treatment at other hospitals and we've had continue to have great successes with that. So that's been really encouraging. Um, our ICU is still pretty full of COVID patients. Um, the majority of all of our patients in the ICU have, have critical illness with COVID. Um, they're not all old patients. There's a wide cross range of age and, um, so it continues to be super challenging and we're still working on all the drug trials. Um, so, you know, we're still using the uh, antiviral agent remdesivir and um, studies are going to be coming out on that uh, soon. That'll show that early treatment in moderate cases is uh, beneficial and a five day course is as, uh, as, is as good as a 10 day course. And one of the things we're going to be aiming for is, uh, since it has to be given intravenously, we, we're all thinking that um, if we can find a way to get people treated as an outpatient at an infusion center, like the place where people who have chemo go to get, um, who've got cancer go to get the chemotherapy, they um, may go once or twice a day for an infusion. They could be treated at home and we're thinking that we could actually be treating COVID patients in that manner too. Getting a five-day uh, infusion therapy at an outpatient infusion center or even at home with a home visiting nurse uh, infusing this stuff into them. Um, the other treatments, uh, there's a bunch of, a host of other treatments coming out. Um, some different antibody uh, treatments and uh, uh, plasmapheresis and all different kinds of things that are all still very experimental, but we are starting um, work on all of those. So those are a bunch of different things. And then the other drugs that I mentioned, the anti-inflammatory drugs called interleukin, uh, which are drugs that block the inflammatory response in the lungs. Um, 
uh, we're continuing to use that and, and we're seeing pretty impressive results worldwide with those drugs. So that's coming along and pretty hopeful. And then the other area, of course, is vaccine development. But um, that's a really big unknown with all kinds of people saying, making all kinds of guesses as to what's going to happen there. So we, we're not really sure yet where that'll all play out. But what we're grappling, I, I suppose, most uh, avidly with now is how to treat the patients we've got in regard to this vascular issue. The fact that there appears to be uh, clots, clotting in the lungs, in the brain, in the uh, blood vessels all over the body, in the gut, throughout the GI tract, which is why a lot of patients present with abdominal symptoms and diarrhea. A uh, large proportion of the patients have diarrhea. And uh, we think now that it's due to the uh, micro blood clots in all the vessels going to all these different organs. And we're also seeing a lot of patients, a lot of young people with strokes, um, which is kind of shocking. Uh, and, um, and now when we get a stroke patient, we would never previously have thought they could be a presentation of COVID, but as of late, um, we've now begun to realize that any patient who pre presents as a stroke could be the classic first, could be their first presentation of COVID. Um, so it's no longer just respiratory things, uh, fever and all that. It's now if someone potentially could have a stroke or a heart attack or a, a blood clot in their lungs or their leg or somewhere else in their body, or even a GI upset with diarrhea and abdominal pain, it could be COVID. Wow. So it's, it's got a lot more challenging in that regard. So how does, how does that change the way that you're approaching the treatment um, in terms of like this article you just sent me? Well, that, must be, that must be both terrifying, but also clarifying, right? Yeah. It's, it was kind of like... Uh, you know, a, a, an aha moment reading that article. I'm like, oh, wow, that kind of really makes sense in a lot of ways that unifies a lot of things we were grappling with. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the way we were, the next step is figuring out how we should be using blood thinners in this disease. And, you know, there's, we, the, we have never, there is no disease out there that exists that you essentially breathe in and then it causes all these vascular problems uh, it's never happened before so this is a an entirely new ball game for modern medicine to deal with um, uh, so we are trying to figure out whether or not and and how to be using blood thinners to prevent these clots or to dissolve clots that uh, may have occurred so uh, routinely now with strokes, we, um, if we get the stroke fairly quickly, we take them to a, to a cath lab and, and give them, uh, well, we give them the ER blood thinner, uh, a very powerful one that can dissolve the clot. And we can give it um, directed into the exact part of the brain where the clot is. And if it won't dissolve the clot, we actually use a small uh, balloon or a different technique to grab the clot and pull it out. 
Whoa. and actually extract it out of a tiny vessel, some obscure branch in the brain. We actually can go up through the, the groin or the wrist and feed a little thing up into the brain and grab it and pull it out. And then if we can do it fast enough, uh, the patient who could have been paraplegic or hemiplegic down one side or unable to speak, um, we can completely reverse that. Uh, but we have to get it done really within the first, you know, four to six hours at the, at the longest, really four hours is best. Um, so, the, you know, we, we're having to do these types of procedures on all kinds of patients that previously we wouldn't have thought these diseases would have popped up in them. You know, it would have been really just older patients with a lot of vascular disease or, or diabetes, um, high blood pressure, but now it's occurring in younger people sort of randomly. Um, so that's definitely a challenge. So, for, yeah, so that's what's going to be my question. You know, typically around my generation, we've assumed this is an older person's disease and we're kind of immune to it. But now you guys are finding out that, in fact, we're not. And actually, you know, the heart attacks and blood clots is probably, and strokes is probably more scary than ever for our generation and the younger people. Yeah, I mean, um, th th it's definitely true that people who already have high blood pressure, heart disease are more prone and at greater risk. But, but younger people definitely are uh, still having these problems and presentations. And uh, it's surprising and somewhat shocking. So, um, and it seems fairly random. It seems like most likely there's going to be some genetic determinant, whether, mm -hmm. you, whether you have a reaction to this virus and have this kind of a problem versus all the other people who are essentially asymptomatic. Um, you know, it seems like a large number of people have been infected and don't even know it um, or just lose their sense of smell and taste for a few weeks. Um, but we, we've got a long way to go till we figure that out. Yeah, it sounds to me like it's, it's, it's got to be like a game of guacamole or like whack-a-mole a little bit, right? Because you've got, there's a few, you know, somebody will present with, with some symptoms and you'll think you have that worked out and then someone with completely different symptoms that might be exactly the same type of protoplasm that you would assume, you know, that, that they would be exactly the same, but they're not, right? Right, um, exactly. And in terms of, a, you know, some people have a, so was if, are the flu symptoms actually anything like a flu or is it really that you're learning that the flu symptoms are actually a result of this, of the vascular aspect of the disease? Uh, I, you cut out a bit there, but oh, I, sorry. What, I was I, asking I, if, if the, um, if, if the flu symptoms, um, that people are presenting with, are those like, are those now considered sort of the same thing as a flu symptom would be, or is it like a mock flu symptom? And it's now, it's more driven by this cardiovascular or this, by the vascular nature of the disease. Like, oh, no, that's a good question, Chad. No, it's, it's definitely still a flu symptom. Okay. Um, you know, when they've got a fever and uh, the, the, the things that we initially <clears throat> understood to be the presentation of this disease with a upper respiratory infection, that's still fairly classic upper respiratory type thing. And I don't think we attribute any of that to the vascular part of it. The vascular part of it comes with 
the strokes and the heart attacks, the blood clots in the lung and the strange little patches we are seeing on people's fingers and toes called COVID toes, which is, um, looks like what you call chillblains. Um, and it's uh, due to obstruction of the small blood vessels in that, in that zone causing like frostbite. So it kind of oh, looks got like it. frostbite. Yeah. And, and it's so, funny because people are presenting with hypoxia too, right? Yeah, well, that's that now. Now we're beginning to understand that might be due to the small blood vessels in the lung. So the lung might be look the lung might be normal, and and the patient may not feel any shortness of breath because they don't have pneumonia or any impairment of the mechanical function of their lung. But the small blood vessels that transport the oxygen from the lung around the body those little blood vessels are getting blocked by these blood clots so you're short on oxygen but you're not really aware of it okay because the thing that makes the thing that makes you and me feel short of breath when we duck dive under a wave or you get you wipe out and you get held under the water the thing that makes us short that sensation of I've got to breathe. It's not a lack of oxygen. It's a buildup of carbon dioxide. So the, 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 the urge and drive to breathe is from the accumulation of carbon dioxide in our blood. And um, that's what makes you aware of your, your shortness of the, you know, the desire to breathe. But so if you're just short on oxygen, you don't feel that drive to breathe. You just may get drowsy or agitated or, or, or a bit confused, but not feeling short of breath per se. Like, like if you've got to hold your breath, that's, that's controlled by carbon dioxide, which your body's trying to get rid of all the time and breathe out. So that's why, so that's why people who, um, I don't know if you remember, but early on in the disease, we were seeing pictures of, people in Italy and other places who are just suddenly dying at home without even having felt very sick. They were just, and, and we actually are seeing it here too. We're getting these people who come in and full arrest into the ER and they were perfectly fine um, and maybe had some very mild symptoms. And it's probably because that, you know, they were, had a lot of blockage of those blood vessels in their lungs causing that uh, hypoxia or lack of oxygen. Wow. So the, I mean, that's all very like, it's so it's, it's funny because when, you know, you see people getting kind of like back to finger quotes normal um, and then, and then suddenly are trying to sort of slowly reopen the economy. We spoke about the economy last time and, and at, yeah. at, at some length in terms of it being as important, you know, as, or as potentially damaging to health. Uh, yeah. The uh, the other piece of this now is obviously this. You know, we've got social unrest uh, around the entire country, and, and in fact, yeah. the world. To be honest with you, there's there's gatherings everywhere yeah. for the most righteous of reasons. I mean, you can't think of yeah. a better reason to, to be in, right. a, in a large group of people. Yeah. What are you? What are what is your expectation? What are the conversations you're having internally and in, um. Uh, in, in terms of of spikes that you anticipate from this type of of a from the initial slow reopening, but the other piece of it being this 
these much more lar the, the larger mass gatherings? I'll be very surprised if we don't have a pretty big spike. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I think we'll, we're pretty much getting ready for a, a bigger wave to hit us than we originally had because, um, you know, we're, we're in the middle of it and we're all of a sudden, you know, having thousands of people together. Now, granted, for the most part, they're outside and granted, a lot of them are wearing masks, which is good. Um, and, and being outside counts for a lot. It really does. Being outside is a game changer. But when you've got thousands of people all together outside, uh, it's hard. nobody really knows how much that's going to change the game. Right. But I think we're, we're all pretty much expecting there's going to be another and bigger wave. And hopefully, uh, you know, our strategy that, that we definitely successfully flatten the curve in California, um, we, may not be, we may not be so lucky next time around. According to John Hopkins, I've been checking out, they've kind of have the counter of the global counter and the US counter. It seems like there's already been a spike in California over the last week or so. Percentage seems to be going up. Is that the case or is that just old cases that are finally getting recorded? Yeah, probably old cases. Also, there's a lot of flux because of the testing. We've really refined the testing. Uh, we've got a lot more testing available. And... Um, you know, we're trying to sort out false negative test rate and all these kinds of issues. Um, you know, there's definitely a significant false negative rate on the testing, um, meaning you've got the disease, but the test is negative. Wow. And that's, that's occurring uh, in people who've had the disease maybe a week or two ago. And uh, what happens is early on in the first week, when you do a throat swab, uh, there's a lot of virus in, in the nasal pharyngeal area around the throat and nose, and it's much more likely to be positive. After uh, 10 days, um, the only way to get a, you know, the, the most reliable way to get a positive result is uh, from a bronchial washing down in the lung because somehow it seems to move down into the lung and is not really detectable up in the throat area anymore. And so uh, if you're doing a, a throat swab late, you, you can easily get a negative result in a patient who's got it and shedding the virus and contagious to other people. But isn't that incredible to show that you know that now? I mean, that's just that at least you know the reasons for the false negatives. I mean, that's a, that sounds like a lot of progress since even last week talked. It is a lot of progress that we've even figured that out. Yeah. Um, and, and, but then now we're at the cusp of use, trying to figure out the antibody testing because the antibodies will tell you if you've been infected, even if the, so the, the virus itself has got um, uh, genetic material in it called RNA that um, is called an, that we can detect. And that's, that's the, um, the test that we use currently is detecting the RNA and the virus, and that tells you whether we've got whether you've got the disease uh, material in your body. Um, the other test is the antibody, which is your own response, and to see whether or not you've got you've mounted some sort of response to having been infected. And the problems we've got there are we don't know if you've got positive antibodies, 
if um, if that means that uh, you could be immune to further disease. Um, we don't know if the disease could mutate, uh, meaning that even if you have immunity to one strain, you may not have immunity to another. And we also um, don't know how reliable the antibody tests are. There were about 80 of them released onto the market and the FDA pulled about half of those off the market uh, because they felt they were highly unreliable. And so there's a lot of unreliable tests out there looking at antibodies. And if you get an antibody test that's positive, it's really hard to know how to interpret that. The only, the only time I, I would recommend having an antibody test, and they are freely available everywhere, is perhaps say, for example, if you'd lost your sense of smell and taste a week or two ago, and uh, you're wondering what, you, what the situation is. If you are antibody positive with that, that combo together, you could probably conclude you're infected. Um, but whether or not you were contagious to others, whether or not you're immune to getting it again, we, we don't know any of that. So, so there's still a chance of like, you know, it's, so when you get the flu and you don't have a flu shot, you get the flu, you get sick, you get better, now you're immune to the flu. So You're immune to that strain of the flu. That strain right? of the flu, right. Yeah. In this case, not, that's not the case. So this is a completely different beast. Or we don't no, know we that's the case. We don't know. No, no, we right. don't know. It might be that you are. It might be. Right. We have seen cases where people had it. They seemed to get better. Then they got really sick. And we don't know if it's because they got it again. Or they never really got better and they just kind of relapsed. We haven't figured that out yet. So off my uh, tracker that seems to be wrong, but I think this is the obvious, right? We're seeing a massive spike and this is a bit of a two-part question, a huge spike in Brazil. What are you guys hearing from there? Uh, from Brazil in particular? Yeah. Um, I, I haven't got any specific info, you know, that I could speak to about Brazil. Um, but I am, you know, look, the Southern Hemisphere follows us uh, usually. And um, I, I mean, I'm not a bit surprised if, you know, to hear something like a country like Brazil having a big, a big spike. Um, I, look, I, I got the same info I think you did, and I know they're having a lot of trouble, but... Uh, as to specifics, you know, I don't think that they're not going to offer us any insights other than their struggle to deal with it. Right. So, uh, so my uh, know, I don't think uh, we're, we're likely to learn anything that's going to help us. Right. So my selfish part of the question is, do you think it's even possible to have a world surfing tour this year with what's going on around the world? That's such a great question. Um, like I said before, look, in, in one sense, surfing is the kind of sport, especially um, contests, you know, the contestants are a long way apart. The problem is not the contestants, it's everything surrounding the actual heats, right? If it, if it was just heats, I think heats are safe. But it's, you know, the you know before the heat after the heat traveling all the social aspects that come with it 
um, that put people in proximity, that's the problem. It's not the surfing itself. Uh, I think travel is going to be a big question for several more months. And, um, and I think this, we're going to see spikes in the Southern Hemisphere following us. And then as our winter comes, as we move towards winter, we may see another spike again. Uh, I hear so, that very likely. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's, it, I think it doesn't bode well for any international sport where there's got to be a lot of travel. Mm. I think uh, air tra airplane travel is inherently highly problematic um, because, you know, on a plane, we're all breathing the same air and, uh, you know, it's not a good system to really filter that air of, of virus particles like this. Um, and it's not like the air is brought in from the outside or in any fashion. Yeah. Uh, so from the WSL point of view, boy, it's going to be really challenging for the next 12 months, I would think. Yeah, they, they released a statement yesterday saying they would be making a decision by the end, at the end of July or the beginning of July now. But to me, that just seems too soon. You know, I, the feeling amongst most of the surfers that I've talked to that are on the tour that it won't happen this year. So I think they're being you know, cautiously optimistic. But uh, yeah. they're talking about doing some events like within California, one within Brazil. Those kind of things yeah. for the audience. Yeah, I think doing any non-travel uh, uh, contest where people don't have to get on planes is probably the way to go. And um, yeah, it's all about the air travel. That's the problem, really. So uh, we went to yesterday. We were um, fortunate enough to go down to Encinitas, and there was an incredible paddle out that. Uh, changing tides and Salma Sakela and the textured waves organized and there was you know 500 to a thousand people all kind of out there and you know I have a present wife at home so I wore my mask to the shoreline but then we got out there and it was packed right so I was a bit anxious and what is that a cause for concern like Chad and I kind of left going like geez that was really like that was pretty much a COVID party <laughs> uh well, again, uh, was it windy? Yeah. Uh, windy is not, not super <laughs> windy, but there was wind. It wasn't was glassy, wind? that's for sure. There was no, a little okay. bit of a sea breeze. Okay, that's really good. I, I, I think that's huge. I think uh, as long as there was some wind or s some sea breeze blowing through the crowd, yeah. I, would think that, I would think that makes a, a massive difference. Okay. Um, you know, in every hospital, our dream is that, you know, if we could create a draft uh, through the hospital so that the air was stuck, you know, pulled through every room rapidly, uh, that would solve a lot of problems. And then, you know, we're, we're struggling having to, to have negative airflow rooms now. Right. Uh, but if, if we, yeah, so I would say you'd probably be at pretty low risk if, you, if there was a sea breeze blowing. And um, you can't get that close to people in the water, although I'm sure you were shaking hands with people and stuff. But no, people are good about elbows, man. That's the one thing like I noticed. Land, we're all, like you're in a room. We're all getting really good at shaking with our elbows now. And, and it was interesting. Oh, to see. Is that what I, happened yesterday? Yeah, everybody was just doing this. So it's good. Oh, that's good. I think yeah. everybody's gotten used to that, that type of yeah. behavior pretty quick. 
I would think the fact that everyone was outside and a breeze was blowing, I think that's uh, going to make a really big difference. So we're going to tell ourselves that breeze was yeah. a little stronger than it probably was. And, and, <laughs> and, yeah. So what, what, what advice, so you've already given us so much incredible information, what advice could you give ourselves and our, and our audience and the listeners and kind of going forward with this and how they should proceed? I would say um, the sensible thing at this point, uh, we're almost, uh, we're having this unfortunate experiment unfold before us of all these people uh, going out and, uh, and, and to some degree, we've got the re reopening of things. Um, I, I think everybody should cautiously wait, I think about three weeks from now to see what the impact of all of this is going to be and then take your cue from that. Because if in three weeks from now, if there isn't that much of a spike and things seem to be going pretty steadily or continuing to decline, I think we're going to be in really good shape. If we see a massive spike, it's the complete opposite. If we see a huge spike in, then everyone's got to reassess all their plans and hopes. You know, we've got to really, uh, we're going to, we're going to, if we, you know, have a big spike in cases and the hospitals get overwhelmed and we're right back where we started or even worse off, uh, which is, which is conceivable. Um, because we already know that in, in other countries like South Korea, um, uh, Japan, I think, uh, they had they had spikes after they had controlled it, so I think all of us should just uh, delay any big plans for about three weeks from now. Okay. And then then we're going to know a heck of a lot more from from ex being able to read what's occurred. And and last question: um, Are you how are you holding up? And how's your crew? How's the how's morale? And are you how you know? Are you guys just exhausted? Are you able to take some breaks here and there? Um, yeah, look, the morale in the hospital is a lot better, a lot. Um, once we all started wearing, it was incredible. I got to say, once we all started wearing masks um, and face shields and gloves, and you know, being once we started really being able to take care of ourselves with the correct protective equipment that we always needed and wanted uh, the infections amongst us stopped pretty much i mean it was dramatic i mean a lot of people was a lot of us got sick at the outset mm -hmm. and then as soon as we got all the equipment we needed boom it all stopped um, now it may start again but it was dramatic the um, difference it made so there's no question Wearing a mask makes a huge, huge difference. And I couldn't stress more, uh, how, more emphatically how critically important it is to wear the mask whenever you can, when you're not at home, when you go to the shop, when you're you know, doing everything where there's other people, um, just wear a mask. And yeah, we've all got used to it. Yeah. And, and it makes a huge difference. Look, staying six feet away is difficult um, and not shaking hands is, is doable and everyone's got used to that. But the mask makes a really big difference. And 
the best thing we can all do for each other is wear masks because you're, you're protecting other people from you and you're protecting yourself from them. And um, uh, that, I, I think that that's probably the most important message to give going forward is uh, whatever it is you've got to do um, out there with other people shopping and working and whatever, wear a mask uh, for their sake and for your sake. And what about the gloves? The gloves are important, um, but they're hard to use properly. You know, even if you're wearing gloves, you're still going to use your phone. You're still going to um, touch, you get, you get your wallet out to pay for something. And so in a way, um, carrying hand sanitizer so that you can actually kill the virus that's on your hands might be more effective than otherwise you'd have to be switching gloves constantly. So. Um, if you do put on the gloves, you've got to be mindful. You almost have to picture, uh, visualize the gloves getting dirty so you don't forget what you've touched and take them off and throw them away and put on a new pair or, or use hand sanitizer in between the things that you're touching. Probably the simplest is just keep some hand sanitizer in your car, on your office desk or wherever, whatever you're doing. Sanitize frequently after doing most things and try not to touch your face at all throughout the day and try not to touch the mask. You know, don't be adjusting the mask and scratching and you know, it's best uh, leave, get used to the mask, put it on, leave it alone. And um, yeah, so that's what I would advise. Well, I shaved my awesome quarantine beard I had growing, which took me three months to grow some bum fluff finally. But <laughs> <laughs> I was getting too itchy with the mask, but uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks Russ, really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, well, I'm sure we're, sure we're you know, you'll, you'll be we'll be asking you again, um, which just means more waves for you eventually. So you know, but it's it's all it's all a good investment, I think, in your of well, your time. Well, eventually you're gonna pull up at Topanga and Chad's gonna be paddling out, and you're gonna go, hey, don't you worry about giving me a few waves, just don't paddle out. Yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. Just, just that way I don't have to hear your voice the whole time. And, the, uh, <laughs> and all all Duma, all this coming from Chad White. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's my point. My voice, not yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. I, All right, I, I Russ, do, we'll do, do, I do yeah. want to say, you, Duma, you do know what his nickname in the water is at Topanga, right? No, please tell me. It's Chat. Chat. <laughs> the, guy ne- the, the guy never shuts up. It's <laughs> like you well, keep him catching waves, keep him down the point. Yeah, but you know that's a that's a that's such a good nickname. It's so easy to to deal with that one. But the kids call me Dick Nose, so that's that's a little bit. That's my real nickname because the, what the Groms call me is what I'll really have to stick with. Thank you for making my nickname so easy to deal with. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Good to see you, bud. All right, Doc. Thanks Bye. again for your help, man. Okay, guys. See ya. All right. Bye. See you later. Bye. Well, I hope you guys all enjoyed that or at least got some good information from it or hopefully didn't scare the crap out of you. But I think it gives us a, a, a night, you know, at least some information on how to move forward. Yeah. And it's scary and it's, but it's still very real and there's ways we can combat this thing. But uh, for me, man, the biggest bummer was hearing about the WSL. Like I knew it in my heart and it's obvious. And yesterday announced like, you know, we'll check back in July, but you know, we know it's game over and, you know, that, that ship sailed, unfortunately, for a tour this year. It, it would just be impossible, like, with this spike in Brazil that you're seeing, like, yeah. half, three, a third of the tour is Brazilian. 
Yeah. So, you know, they wouldn't be able to travel and come back and forth from there. Now, you know, a miracle could happen. There could be a cure in the next week, but it's highly unlikely. So, uh, you know, for me, that was one of the biggest takeaways. And then just, you know, wear a mask around each other. Still be careful and treat it like you would a month ago. You know, I'm stoked to work here. We don't have to wear gloves. Yeah. And just keep the sanitizer going and just look after the people that are around you. Yep, that's it. And and hopefully you guys find this to be useful information. We're going to keep checking in with Doc, um, you know, as long as this thing lasts for. Uh, let us know if there's anything that you'd like to ask him. Um, you know how to reach us. And, and that's it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.